Hi, I'm Stephen Kotowich. Welcome to Tesla Goes to the Movies. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. When I was a kid, I loved the original MacGyver show. I remember watching it with my best friend and marveling at how Mac got out of his weekly jams using nothing more than his wits and whatever he had on hand to turn some bubblegum, a Swiss army knife, and a 9-volt battery into a jetpack and escape from danger. I mean, he's so well known for these kinds of stunts that his name became a verb. The Oxford English Dictionary, the Bible of the English language, lists MacGyver as meaning, quote, to make or repair something in an improvised or inventive way, making use of whatever items are at hand. My dad, who only ever watched the show because I was watching it, still talks about MacGyvering things to this very day. I remember MacGyver didn't ever use guns because of, I think, a childhood accident with a gun, and that his arch-nemesis was a psychopathic assassin named Murdoch, and I remember that to the point that whenever I see the actor who played Murdoch, Michael DeBar, in any other role, I'm still so creeped out by him that I don't trust whatever character he's playing, even if he's supposed to be a good guy especially if he's supposed to be a good guy. Other than that, I don't remember a thing about the show. So really what I remember is an emotion about the show. I remember the feeling of loving it. And so I've been afraid to go back and rewatch any of the original episodes, fearing a visit from the Suck Fairy. What is the Suck Fairy, you ask? It's an idea I first heard from the author Joe Walton, who says she heard it from someone else, who heard it from someone else, and on and on. She was speaking of the Suck Fairy in reference to books, but I think the concept fits any media that one loves, so I tend to include TV and movies, and sometimes even music. The Suck Fairy visits when you go back and reread a favorite book, or watch an old movie or TV show that you loved once upon a time, but which, on encountering it again, turns out to suck. A lot. You don't remember it sucking this much when you first loved it, but boy, howdy does it suck now. Could you have missed the essential suckiness of this media the first time around? Unlikely. Your highly refined tastes would have ferreted out anything of such inherently poor quality on a first read or a first watch. No, clearly the suck fairy has got to it in the meantime and ruined everything you once loved about it. I've had this experience with some other beloved TV shows from the 80s that were pretty central to my life when I was growing up, including The Greatest American Hero and Knight Rider. While they were clearly awesome when I was a kid, man, oh man, are they bad now. Like, unwatchable bad. So bad, in fact, it's like they've traveled backward through time and retroactively ruined my childhood. Hence why I've never gone back to rewatch the original MacGyver. I hope MacGyver is the exception to this rule, but best not to tempt fate. And I admit that I had no plans to watch the reboot of MacGyver either, but then they went and put Tesla in an episode and I felt a professional obligation to check it out. So, cards on the table. Until now, I've never watched an episode of this rebooted MacGyver, and while I was aware it existed, I knew nothing about it. And after watching this episode, well... I still don't know much about it, so here's a quick rundown, courtesy of the internet. Angus MacGyver, known as Mac, has a genius-level intellect and a particular ability for adaptation and improvisation. So far, so good. Sounds pretty familiar. He is a resourceful U.S. operative who works for the Phoenix Foundation, 
a covert government agency operating under the guise of a think tank. His mother died when MacGyver was five, and his father disappeared from MacGyver's life when MacGyver was ten. Uh, Both of these facts are important in the episode we're talking about here. More on that in a minute. MacGyver spent two years at MIT studying physics, though he didn't graduate. Instead, he left to go join the army because he wanted to make an actual difference in people's lives rather than thinking about theoretical problems. He was trained as an explosive ordnance demolitions technician, uh, think the guys from the Hurt Locker, and he spent three years in Afghanistan. After leaving the army, MacGyver was hired by the Department of External Affairs, DXS, remember that acronym, a government clandestine operation using the guise of a think tank. By the time of this series pilot, Mac had spent three years at DXS, and after DXS's original unnamed cover is blown in the pilot, a new cover is needed, which will allow for a transition of the organization's assets so its work can continue. MacGyver suggests the name Phoenix, after the mythological bird that is reborn by rising from its own ashes, and the organization begins under the cover name of the Phoenix Foundation. Thanks to Wikipedia, I am reminded that this was the name of the covert organization MacGyver worked for in the original 1980s version, too. The main antagonist for MacGyver and the Phoenix Foundation is an organization called Codex, a global, ultra-dark, scientific R&D conglomerate and eco-terrorist organization that has existed since the 14th century. Their nefarious plan is, apparently, to wipe out several billion people as a way to help save the environment and the greater part of humanity. And that's where we pick up with Season 4, Episode 10 of MacGyver, Tesla plus Bell plus Edison plus Mac. The episode opens in San Francisco in 1922. Tesla and an unnamed DXS agent are walking down the street late at night. Tesla's looking all around, anxious about a map he's carrying, afraid that they're being followed. The DXS agent says that if he doesn't want to be a target, Tesla should stop designing weapons. Tesla objects, saying that what he's designed is meant to prevent war. Okay, so to begin with, I should warn you that unlike the Doctor Who episode I talked about last time, except for this scene and a scene about mm, 90% of the way through the episode, Tesla is discussed and referenced, a lot admittedly, but he is not a physical presence and doesn't actually have much dialogue. Which is kind of a good thing because the guy they cast as Tesla doesn't look a thing like him. In fact, in this first scene, for a second, I thought they had cast John Turturro to play Tesla. I see you roll your way to the semis. Dios mio, man. Now, don't get me wrong, I like John Turturro, but I confess I've never looked at him and thought, man, that guy looks like Nikola Tesla. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Not only that, but note to the hair and makeup department, Tesla's hair was never, ever that slicked down. They lacquered this guy's hair on. Looks like alfalfa from Little Rascals. Anyway, Tesla's fears are realized when he and the DXS agent are surrounded by a group of goons. The goons demand the map, and the DXS agent shoots two of them, and a shootout ensues. In a nice touch, Tesla proves himself to be the original MacGyver. Tesla and the DXS agent take shelter behind a car. As the agent returns the goon's fire, Tesla reaches up and grabs a low-hanging light bulb from a fixture on the side of a building, then pulls some parts out of the car, wraps them together with wire, and lobs them at the bad guys. The device explodes right next to the two remaining baddies in what is apparently history's first stun grenade. One goon falls to the ground unconscious, and the other staggers away. 
Upon inspection, the dead goons all have the Codex tattoos on their neck. Okay, cut to the present day. MacGyver's girlfriend wakes up angry at him for hammering away on some metal thing at 6 in the morning. He's trying to make carbon scrubbers to remove CO2 from the atmosphere to help save the planet, because he's discovered that Codex wants to kill billions of people to help save the environment. Then he gets a call to head into Phoenix. When he arrives at an undisclosed location in Los Angeles, the assembled team tells him that they've cracked the code that his father left in his final If You're Watching This, I'm Dead video. Oh, I forgot to mention that. The little Last Time on MacGyver clip before the opening scene uh, showed Mac's dad and explained that he died and left this cryptic message. I'm not sure how he died. I think it was sacrificing himself to either save Mac or somebody else. Or Anyway, it doesn't really matter for our purposes. Turns out the deciphered code reveals an address for a private residence in LA built in the early 1900s, but which has sat abandoned for a long time. The team goes and breaks in, and first thing they notice is the smell. They find an entire closet full of hundred-year-old bottles of bleach. Snooping around, and passing by a bookshelf, MacGyver realizes that the books are arranged to mirror the periodic table, which makes him think a scientist used to live there. Looking over the books, it looks like silver is missing from the periodic table, and when Mac reaches in where silver should be, he discovers a lever, and the bookcase slides away. The dusty room behind the bookcase is filled with polyphase induction motors, compressors, and other engines. There are lots of blueprints on the table and on the walls, including one that looks a bit like a Gatling gun, with a handwritten inscription reading Shiva, which is the name of the Hindu destroyer god. Now, this might just be a reference to a well-known destroyer figure, and it certainly has echoes to the famous quote by Robert Oppenheimer after the detonation of the first atomic bomb, in which he quoted from the Bhagavad Gita, Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. It could be just that. But, and I can't say for certain, I wonder whether this is actually a nod by the episode's writer, Rob Perlstein, to Tesla's own interest in Hindu philosophy, spurred on by his conversations with Swami Vivekananda in Chicago in 1893. As we'll discuss in a future episode of the main podcast, Tesla incorporated Hindu Vedic terms into his thinking about energy and the universe later in life. Anyway, in the room, they find a Tesla coil, which MacGyver recognizes as an original, and some postcards with Tesla's name on them they realize that this must have been Tesla's old place. That explains the bleach, Max says, since Tesla was a well-known germaphobe. They find a photo of Tesla, Thomas Edison, and Alexander Graham Bell in a DXS laboratory. They were all working together for DXS. The team finds a map marked with an X, as well as some handwritten instructions in Serbian. This must be the location of Shiva, they surmise. MacGyver says the whole room itself is a clue to finding it, a cipher that you need in order to understand the map. But, bad news. Just then, some goons, including one that the gang seems to have tangled with previously because they clearly know her and hate her, uh, these goons show up and attack our heroes. MacGyver, true to form, rigs up what is essentially a stun gun with the electrical equipment in the room and zaps the goons. During the fight, Mac gets knocked out, waking up hours later back at the Phoenix Institute only to discover that in the hustle and the bustle, Codex got away with the map. At this point, the action splits in two. One group of agents, and forgive me, I didn't learn a single one of their names over the course of the episode. All I know is one of them is the guy who played Desmond on Lost. This group goes to the library of an institute that Tesla used to lecture at. There they find a repeated series of numbers that looks like a date, 11 9 
Is this the key to Tesla's encoded papers, they wonder? While this is happening, back at the Phoenix Institute, Mac is given an experimental psychotropic drug created by DARPA to retrieve his memory of the Tesla room. This is all handled pretty nonchalantly to my mind. Uh, DARPA, the U.S. military's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, is a pretty scary organization in real life, if you ask me, and I'd think a little bit harder about taking any psychotropic drug they came up with, uh, certainly more than Mac does here. Can anybody say MKUltra? But Mac takes the drug and wakes up at Tesla's house on March 23rd, 1920. Now, he hasn't actually traveled back in time, but rather into the depths of his unconscious or subconscious mind. He knows the date because he looks at the front page of a newspaper, which, in an uncomfortable bit of coincidence, remember, this episode would have been filmed months prior to airing and months prior to the pandemic, it features news of the continuing Spanish flu outbreak in 1920, making that newspaper dated almost 100 years to the day of the start of major COVID-19 lockdowns here in Canada, the United States, and elsewhere around the world. Yeesh. Talk about bad timing. Anyway, Mac is in the middle of a crowded house full of revelers and bumps into a woman in a flapper dress who's surprised to see him. She says he is looking for Mac and that if he finds Mac, Mac won't be able to save the world. Out the window, a flash and a mushroom cloud as we cut to commercial. When the action resumes, Mac bumps, like actually physically bumps, into Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell. They explain how they worked with Tesla to overcome their personal differences and work together for a higher calling, which is working with DXS to save the world. Bell makes an offhand comment that Tesla has the good wine, which probably would have been true since Tesla had pretty high-end tastes, but Bell, who has a bottle of this wine in his hand, is without a corkscrew. MacGyver starts MacGyvering and uses a flaming napkin to uncork the wine. He had to be there. He gains entrance to Tesla's hidden room, only to be grabbed and dragged away by a ninth grade bully because his subconscious is throwing up barriers to him finding Tesla. Back with the other group in the library, they find a quote from Tesla about a particular white pigeon that he loved. Now, this is a 100% actual, accurate quote from Tesla, so kudos to the writer for using it. A nice twist here is that Tesla used talk of this pigeon, at least in the MacGyver universe, to disguise his talk of the Shiva weapon and where he hid it. Decoding this, they deduce that the dates they keep seeing point to the location of a ranch with an abandoned gold mine where Shiva is hidden. Just as they come to this realization, Codex agents show up. The gang topple some bookcases on them and make their escape. Meanwhile, MacGyver is lost in his own head, confronting demons from his past. This includes a guy he let die in some previous episode, and which he's clearly very broken up about. By this point, Mac is losing himself, and he can't quite recall while he's there. This was a side effect he was warned about when he took this drug. The woman who's been guiding him around the dream the whole time helps him to remember why, because she's actually his mom. His mother, who's been dead for 25 years, turns out to be the person that hatched the plan to wipe out a quarter of humanity to save the environment. She sort of apologizes, but not really, saying that she was looking out for the greater good, just as Mac was when he let that other guy die to save everyone else. She leads him to the man who's been chasing him, and it's himself in a black fedora. Cut to the other group. We find the writer using the old Raiders of the Lost Ark trick, where the bad guys are digging in the wrong place because they don't have all the clues the heroes have. 
MacGyver's buddies, who are now riding in a really blatant product shot of a pickup truck, see that the Codex bad guys are digging to the west of where they believe Shiva is actually hidden. The good guys enter the cave, and MacGyver's girlfriend MacGyver's a torch from iron filings. Back with Mac, his dark side argues for letting Codex do their thing. You know, kill all those people. His dark side's rationale boils down to, deep down, you know Codex is right, and that the only way for humanity to survive is for most of them to die. Hmm, I feel like I've heard that argument somewhere before. With all six stones, I could simply snap my fingers. They would all cease to exist, and I call that... Mercy. After a moment's temptation to give in, Mac literally pushes past his metaphorical dark side and finally enters Tesla's room. There's not a lot of chit-chat between the two, as Mac's imagined world is beginning to fall apart. He's in danger of never waking up. I thought it wasn't real. Your mind makes it real. Tesla helps Mac understand that the compass he found in Tesla's room back in the real world was the clue. The compass was backwards. East is west, and west is east. Then, there's an Inception-like kick moment where MacGyver wakes up. The doctor who gave him the DARPA drug is standing over him with a giant needle saying that he's lucky he woke up, because she was about to drive the needle into his heart. The team at the Phoenix Institute radio the ground team to let them know to head east, not west. They find the weapon, and then Codex finds them. MacGyver's girlfriend warns the Codex agents, who are holding machine guns, about the dangers of firing off a gun in an abandoned mine. Yet, she's holding a flaming torch. So, what should the bad guys be scared of exactly? An explosion? Ricochets? Tunnel collapse? It's unclear. But this plot hole gives the Codex agents pause and lets the heroes retreat and come up with a better plan. Over the radio, MacGyver coaches them through using Shiva, which appears to be some kind of EMP device built in an era where EMP devices would really have been kind of pointless. He then coaches them through using it as a giant taser. They zap the baddies, and the metal strike plates in their Kevlar vests react badly to the electrical discharge, and it tosses them around like ragdolls. When the dust settles, the main baddie, the red-haired woman they seem to have tangled with in the past, has fled. But there's no clear reason why. She was shown avoiding the blast, she had a machine gun, and the drop on our heroes. Yeah, plot holes all the way down at the end, I'm afraid. The episode finishes with a tender scene at home between Mac and his girlfriend which ends with Mac having a waking vision of his dark side out the patio door. Bad Mac smiles ominously and walks off. Roll credits. So, what did I think of the episode? Well, it wasn't bad, actually. I know that sounds like faint praise, but of all the media episodes I'm looking at in these Tesla Goes to the Movies reviews, this was the one I was expecting to like the least and I was pleasantly surprised. For someone who'd never watched the show before, it wasn't too hard to follow along and get the general sense of what the major conflicts were. If I had disappointments about the show, it was in those plot hole moments I mentioned, but mostly it was in how little Tesla featured in the episode. I knew going in that Tesla's appearance was part of a dream sequence, but I guess I expected more interaction with MacGyver. At the same time, the show has its own plots and mythology to deal with, and isn't really about the kinds of interactions that something like Doctor Who allows for. I think they could have done a better job casting someone who looked more like Tesla, especially since he had so few lines, 
The actor chosen didn't have to be De Niro level quality or anything to get the job done. It just wasn't that kind of part. But I digress. So I'm going to give this episode a respectable two and a half Tesla coils out of five. However, I'm a bit torn about how to rate the actor who played Tesla. He kind of didn't get a lot to do except for that first sequence where he proved himself the OG MacGyver, and he wasn't really asked to play anything like the historical Tesla. He was asked to play a thoroughly fictionalized version of Tesla, one we're more accustomed to see in sci-fi movies and TV. So I'm going to give him two and a half Tesla coils out of five as well. Not really his fault, though. If he'd been asked to do more or to play more of Tesla as a man and not just a sci-fi trope, I might have been able to rate him higher. So, that brings us to the end of another Tesla Goes to the Movies episode. If you get the chance to check out the MacGyver episode Tesla plus Bell plus Edison plus Mac for yourself, I'd love to hear your thoughts, either on Facebook, on Twitter at OurManCotto, or via email at tesla at kottowich.com. Next time, we'll actually get to the whole reason I started this little side podcast within the main podcast, the Tesla Goes to the Movies review of an actual movie, The Current War starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Michael Shannon. Talk to you next time. I'm Stephen Kotowich.